Hello, and welcome to another edition of Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup Groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, Seattle, New York City, Toronto, Montreal, London, Paris, Berlin, Oslo, Geneva, Zurich, Bangalore, Tel Aviv, and Tokyo. I'm Brent Phillips. I produce the podcast series, and today I'm going to be guest hosting an interview with Krilo Lapko from Spiv Dila based in Ukraine. Krilo also works for Needslist, and we're going to talk about both Spiv Dia's work and Needslist's new project in Ukraine. To get us started, Krilo, would you like to just introduce yourself? Tell us where you are and uh, what you're doing. Yeah, sure. Hello, Brent, uh, and uh, thank you very much for introducing me to this podcast series. My name is Kirillo, and uh, I am originally from Ukraine, and uh, right now works as a project manager of uh, Spivdia, that translates in English as common action. And also for two months, I'm a program manager of needs list in Ukraine. So like a lot of Ukrainians, you know, the war has kind of been a surprise. And uh, what was your life like before the war? You know, it's great question, Brent, because my life uh, was enough peaceful, but it's important to mention that the war in Ukraine became uh, in 2014. So our society is used to all the challenges that uh, we faced during the war, and uh, we fight them starting from 2014. And uh, one more thing to mention is uh, starting from 2014, the NGO sector in Ukraine has raised, there was a huge boom, and uh, right now we see the results uh, of uh, such changes in our society minds, because after the occupation of uh, Crimea, Donetsk and Luhansk regions. A lot of charity funds and NGOs were established that uh, helped our troops and IDPs that were affected by the war. And uh, my own experience in this field also started from 2016 when I established my own NGO and uh, we were helping I could say yes people and we provided different uh, educational programs regarding the rule of law and uh, its practical elements in ukraine that uh, could be implemented we provided different types of educational programs sec- uh, seminars lectures and other stuff but uh, my main occupation and my main job is a lawyer i work as a tax lawyer in ukraine in an international law firm and provide different uh, tax advices to international businesses and right now charitable funds on the tax norms and legislative uh, foundation in Ukraine. So it was my life before the war. You know, it's and, interesting. Um, this is just a question that I was going to ask. But like in America, we have um, nonprofits and they're registered with the government. They have a nonprofit tax ID number. But How does that work in Ukraine offhand? I mean, like during the Bosnian war, you have a huge amount of international NGOs working and national NGOs, nonprofit organizations and grassroots organizations. And typically the grassroots ones don't register or they're just registered uh, as an association. But how does that work in Ukraine? Great question. And because I hear them mightily every day, 
And uh, I could say that the registration of uh, international charitable funds uh, is obliged in Ukraine starting from 2022. And right now, if uh, international donor uh, want to provide its activities in Ukraine, it has to be registered with the Ministry of Justice and uh, with the tax authorities in Ukraine. So they registered here, they established a separate subdivision, and after that, they can uh, provide their activities in Ukraine so and be a taxpayers under the Ukrainian legislation. Cool. Yeah, you distracted me with, with your background, and it's something I've always been interested in. So uh, we'll get back to the interview now. Can you tell us, so let's say I'm an, I work for another humanitarian organization. How would you describe Steve Dila, what it does, when it got started? Like, what is it working on right now, like in a, a summary? Talking about Spivdia, I personally could say that uh, it is unique uh, organization because firstly, it was established just in 10 days after the full-scale invasion. So in the beginning of the March. And uh, right now it is the biggest volunteer platform in Ukraine that provides different types of services to people affected by the war. And uh, we have our subdivisions, our network, over all over the Ukraine, in all the regions of Ukraine, except uh, occupied territories, temporary occupied territories. And plenty of projects and little projects and uh, programs that we implement. Our main goal is to provide people uh, in need with humanitarian resources, such as food kits mostly. And uh, during these 10 months, we provided more than 400,000 people with food. And uh, right now we have more than 1 million requests for such humanitarian aid. So as you understand, we have a lot to do in 2023. Also, we have projects that connected with the legal support for IDPs, psychological support, educational programs for children that are affected also by the war. We provide different small grants for uh, local small businesses and uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, we provide... Uh, employment services and also recently we started a project of distribution of 5000 computers for businesses we implement this project in cooperation with irex and so just for two months we are the implementing partner of needs list in ukraine and create a new network where we connect our local organizations with international donors and with our different local organizations in ukraine that's good. It gives the person who isn't familiar with Ukraine or your organization an idea of what who you are and what you do. And uh, when the organization got started, and now, where do you see your role in the humanitarian response? Uh, great question, because uh, I started in SPIFDIA just as an uh, anti-crisis manager and a program manager. But uh, right now, my main goal is to implement the need list program in Ukraine and sometimes to resolve uh, different anti-crisis uh, situations that we have and that we face in organizations, starting with uh, legal consultations and uh, finishing with my direct uh, trips to territories where people need their support. Because when the war began, uh, I mean the full-scale invasion, I personally was in Kiev when everything started. And uh, for one month, I was in Kiev region, not, not that far from Bucha and Irpin. So I spent mostly a month uh, under the occupation. 
And uh, during this time period, uh, I joined the local uh, territorial defense forces. If we could say that uh, they are called, they were called like that because mostly it was just a volunteer network that were detecting the enemy's uh, logistics pass and retranslating the information to Kiev so that uh, they could strike them. And uh, when Russian looters came to our house, we were forced to leave to Kiev. And immediately after that, I joined Spivdia because I yeah. just was seeking for something to do. It's amazing. As I mentioned, I worked in Bosnia a long time ago during the war there, and it was it was just crazy. And I can't imagine, I guess I can imagine, but it's just, I don't think a lot of people today can empathize with what it's like to be in a war and to be behind the, behind the lines. And uh, I'm sure it was... Uh, interesting for you <laughs> very interesting it's surreal i think a surreal is the right word but you know people as i saw there people come together and they work together and this sort of solidarity you don't see in our daily lives and uh, i think it it changes our lives and do you think what's happened to you has changed obviously it's changed your life but it's changed a generation of lives and got you interested in humanitarian operations Yes, it uh, totally changed uh, our lives. Uh, we are now more united than we were before the full-scale invasion, I could say, because we know who is our enemy, but we knew it even before the full-scale invasion. Uh, but now we are certain. And uh, it's very challenging, you know, for us to finish this trip of uh, defeating the enemy because we are all fighting not only with our enemies, but with our own minds and uh, our own uh, democratic senses. And we all want to win, uh, and we will win this war. It's just a matter of time. But this uh, full-scale invasion showed us that uh, the only way to defeat the enemy is to be united uh, by the one goal. And uh, we are fighting not only for Ukraine, but we are fighting, fighting for democracy in general. And I think that uh, it's our foundation right now. And all of Ukrainians, they know the cost of democracy and uh, know the cost of war. And uh, we will never let anybody took it from us. Yeah, I think we're all in it with you. And we support you. And um, we're happy to be able to interview you. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the wintertime conditions. And it's brutal there. And uh, what's it like for the average person there? And what are the greatest needs that you're trying to respond to this winter? As you know, Brent, uh, uh, Russian troops starting from October uh, launched a huge amount of rockets to our energetic infrastructure and uh, water supply infrastructure and damage it a lot. And uh, right now, people face the lack of electricity all over the country. And during the winter time, it causes uh, illnesses and uh, other problems with no heating and uh, with no water. And uh, we are all working on providing people a need with different winterization needs, uh, such as generators, uh, food, uh, warm clothes, sometimes starlings, because uh, in different regions of Ukraine, there could be a lack of uh, network connection, especially not that far from the hotline zone. And uh, Spivdia need least we cooperate on these regards and work to provide our local organizations and uh, beneficiaries with uh, all that needs, mostly generators, because it's the only 
way to heat houses and to provide people with electricity. Another question. So for humanitarian organizations that want to help and ship resources to Ukraine, what's it like, just the logistics of like, let's say I have 100 generators and I'd like to get them across the border. What does that look like? Is there like a handoff? It depends on a lot of factors, starting with uh, from what territory you want to distribute your humanitarian aid to Ukraine and what exact humanitarian aid you want to deliver. If we're talking about generators, it's tax-free in Ukraine to deliver them and cross the border with uh, such aid. Uh, You don't need to pay any custom duties. Uh, You just need to prepare the declaration on uh, what you're delivering and who is the recipient of your support. It could be just charitable organization and uh, that will in the future distribute it to Ukrainians or use it in their centers to provide people with services. So it's not that uh, difficult to deliver it. It's just difficult to find uh, logistic partners that uh, could uh, deliver such goods because sometimes donors don't have such resources to deliver something to Ukraine. And uh, returning to needs list, what is great in this platform, we have uh, partners that provide us with logistic services and could uh, deliver anything our donors would like to provide Ukraine with they will deliver it by themselves. And this donor is uh, distribution aid, and they help us a lot uh, on these grounds. I'd like to ask you more about needs list, but before I do, um, can we talk a little bit about data? And one of the reasons I asked about the border is because, you know, it's a piece of data, like when and how much and uh, who shipped it and who the recipient is. And we talk a lot about the International Aid Transparency Initiative, It's an open data sharing framework that the humanitarian community uses to share aid activity information. And I think in the AI age that these sort of structured data channels are very important for, you know, new chatbots and search engines and things like that, because you can traverse these sort of data fields. How do you feel about that? And how do you feel about AI? And talking about the data and the AI in general. I think that it's great that uh, such uh, technologies are developing and uh, are integrated also in Ukrainian realities. Also, while we're talking about the humanitarian aid and about the war itself. But I think it's important to to say and remember that there is an overlap of interest between the private and public sector when we're talking about the data, especially about the big data. And uh, we need to understand that such data, it uh, mustn't be dangerous to our security policies, for example, in Ukraine, because uh, we have numerous of hacker attacks all over our infrastructure, and it's very dangerous when uh, our data is lacking to our enemies. But uh, in this time, all our, for example, legislation processes, they're open, and everybody could learn more about them uh, and use them in their daily practices especially when we're talking, for example, about the delivery of humanitarian aid. Just another point on that is that our legislation is very difficult to understand, especially for international donors and partners. And here is the foundation where such AI could be implemented. But on the other hand, what our legal organizations and legal practices would be without a work and uh, lawyers will be unemployed if uh, everything will be resolved only by the AI. 
but still it could be much easier for just local users to learn more about the specifics of delivery of goods of distribution of goods and to know more in general about the humanitarian processes in ukraine a lot of our members are students and researchers and ai developers and we try to sensitize them to what humanitarian operations are like and what humanitarian crises are like and since early last year the red cross got hacked and it was kind of a wake up call that we're living in a more dangerous world where you have actual state actors attacking humanitarian organizations and at the same time you have the whole humanitarian community is trying to encourage open data sharing and this is just a hard challenge and i think it's good for students to understand the seriousness of this world that we live in but yet we need to keep encouraging open data sharing but obviously we need to to think about data security and how to protect sensitive data and you know again you're in the middle of this and how do you feel about that and then what sensitive information should we be mindful about collecting and sharing relative to ukraine um for example uh, if we are talking about uh, our practical elements of sharing data and uh, in general open data we are trying not to you know, distribute the information of beneficiaries that receive our support because uh, it could be used uh, against them in the future and so we really try to resist any actions on receiving such information on our beneficiaries also i think that it's important to protect the logistic paths of humanitarian aid because sometimes the same paths are used for military needs and uh, i think that it's the first priorities to protect uh, such data because uh, it really can be can damage our uh, work in ukraine i was just thinking about syria and how you have the russians and syrians bombing humanitarian convoys and bombing hospitals and so uh I can see what you mean just putting the name of group in America donated a million dollars to a network of health clinics in Ukraine and just sharing the locations of those clinics could be dangerous. I guess it's just back to the challenges of humanitarian operations in the AI age. Again, you have open data sharing and you have threats and uh I think this is the year that we need to think more about that. So now um needs list, we've interviewed Natasha Fridas on the show and she's amazing and uh I think what Needs List is doing is really important. And can you tell us a little bit about what Needs List is doing in Ukraine and this partnership and uh what's exciting about it to you? Okay, so talking about Needs List, uh, I think that we need to just mark that it's a UK IT organization that uh, has more than 5 years of activities that uh, Needs List provided in Africa, in the United States, uh in Brazil and more than 25 countries all over the world and their activities there were extremely useful to create a network that could match needs between uh, local organizations and uh, with international donors and probably the same work is being uh, achieving in Ukraine by the help of the Google that is funding Needlist in Ukraine uh the platform that uh, provide different uh, instruments for local organizations to match their needs this platform was uh, synchronized to ukrainian realities it was translated to ukrainians and is friendly use uh, useful for uh, ukrainian people that use it and what is good with uh, respond local which is a needs list platform in ukraine it creates a big network of in real time of all the ukrainian 
organizations that are enough effective to provide people with help and uh, that could uh, match their needs between themselves and also to get more in-kind humanitarian donations from uh, international organizations. And uh, with this platform, all the international donors, they could see the real-time picture of the humanitarian needs. For example, we have a lot of winterization needs right now on the platform, and uh, they could uh, very effectively react on all that needs and uh, match them just uh, in, the in one click. And then our partners like Distribution Aid could uh, help them to deliver such uh, aid uh, to Ukraine. And for example, right now, the platform itself uh, been officially launched for three weeks. So in the end of uh, December of 2022, it was launched. And uh, now we have more than uh, 100 needs on the platform. And also 30 of them have been already matched. And uh, all that matches, they were connected with food kits, with food. And uh, the delivery of these food kits that were matched have been already done. And uh, we provided uh, different organizations in Ukraine with more than 400,000 food units. So it's just an enormous amount of food. And we are planning to continue this work on provision of winterization needs and food. That's great. So last month, I interviewed somebody from a signpost the International Rescue Committee's signpost initiative, and it helps refugees, um, it helps answer queries by refugees about resources and things like that. And we're editing it right now. But how do you see initiatives like Signpost collaborating with, with SPIV, DIA, and Needs List? Like, it's interesting because you, if you collect information on a, a need and you have a producer of flour, for example, for bread, that's really useful data. To share, for example, if an NGO wants to help contribute to bakeries, they could send money to the flour producer in Ukraine and help facilitate that. And I think that's something that initiatives like Signpost and other sort of Facebook has a community help platform as well. You know, I think it's important to share data on a certain level where there's maybe some collaboration. What do you think about that? And also uh, the future of humanitarian operations what you're doing in this sort of digitization of humanitarian aid? Uh, you know, Needlist itself is extremely open to any cooperation and collaboration. And uh, we try to work with uh, as much uh, organizations we can, uh, because uh, the more resources and the more data and uh, the more information we have, the more effective the platform will be in the future. And uh, as a result, more people will receive the humanitarian aid they need starting with a bakery and finishing with just local IDPs that uh, were affected by the war. And uh, we try to make our network bigger. And uh, in 2023, we are planning to onboard uh, as much organizations as we can on the platform, because uh, as I stated, the more organizations we have, the more humanitarian aid we will distribute. And uh, if we're talking about the cooperation and collaboration with another organization that uh, also creates a network of uh, organizations that need support is great because uh, in our work in Ukraine, we have already collaborated with different organizations that have such network. For example, SPIVDIA, we had uh, a network of more than 40 organizations that need support and uh, successfully onboarded them to the Needless platform. So to make a big uh, network that is just in one place. 
The same situation is happening with other organizations that uh, are operating in Ukraine. For example, Ukrainian Volunteer 100. We're planning to onboard them because they unite more than 100 uh, organizations all over Ukraine and that provides uh, different humanitarian aid and services to people in need. And it's important to collaborate with them because without such collaboration, our work will not be that effective. Yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting because uh, we need that collaboration, but it's labor intensive to organize and to coordinate. Yeah, I'm sure there, there's a big challenge ahead of you, but it's a challenge that we all need to jump into and work on. You know, so again, a lot of our listeners are students and researchers, AI developers, but how can they help? Just offhand, you know, I think it's important that we're in solidarity with you. And I think it's important that we learn how to help and that we get involved in helping wherever a need exists. And I think everybody should be donating to these initiatives because this is, as you say, it's a very practical thing and that's how we help. But we also need to be contributing our skills, our technical skills. So any advice to a young person in, in San Francisco who wants to help out? Um, just to start, it's important to mention that uh, the war is still going. And as I mentioned before, it's uh, the war not only between the Russia and Ukraine, but uh, it's the war between authoritarian regime and democratic uh, regime. And it's important to contribute in our fight because without support from abroad, it would be very challenging for us to fight. We will fight, but the war will be too long to be as open mind as we are right now. And uh, to contribute, we need to collaborate with such initiatives as Needs List, with different Ukrainian organizations, to communicate with them and to provide them with resources that people, for example, in San Francisco have and people in Ukraine don't have. And only after that, our victory will be as fast as it possible and uh, our people will be safe. And uh, there are a lot of organizations in the United States that support uh, Ukraine and Ukrainian efforts. And uh, everybody in the United States could uh, collaborate with such organizations in the USA, contribute to them, and then such res these resources will be distributed to Ukraine too. If they want to contribute directly to some Ukrainian organization, just communicate with Needlist and we'll help you with the transportation of your resources to Ukraine and we'll provide you with all the reports on how this aid was used. So contribute and it will be very useful for us. I think it's important for young people to know that they just need to get involved and you just have to be authentic and be yourself and just do it. For sure. For example, just, you know, I remembered one case. When I was under the occupation in Kiev region, I have a friend in Taiwan, and we had a lot of chatting even before the full-scale invasion. And he's a local activist that uh, supported Ukraine starting from uh, 2014. And when the full-scale invasion happened, he immediately called me and uh, asked me what uh, Taiwanese students and uh, people in general can do to help us. I provided him with at least what he can do to contact with such organizations, provide them with help. But also they invited us to different uh, events and demonstrations in Taipei, where we just connected uh, online from <laughs> occupation. And so, you know, when you see the support, it's uh, extremely important for us to 
to get it because we are then motivated to go forward and we know that we have a support from abroad. And uh, the same situation with uh, Ukrainian students uh, on the ground. Because before the war, I was also part of uh, the biggest Ukrainian student organization that uh, was working on the ground. And uh, a lot of people from our organization are right now fighting uh, in Donetsk region and uh, in other regions of Ukraine for our democracy. And the second part of this organization, they are volunteering and uh, providing our troops with humanitarian aid. And uh, I just want to say that uh, it's important to be active and uh, only active people could uh, achieve not only their personal goals, but uh, the public goals of a state, of a local group, or just a network where you live. So it's really important. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that time in Bosnia where we just all, you know, just got involved and some people went to fight and some people went to try to deliver aid and you know, you yeah. just do what you have to do, and um, it's important. So we have a closing question that we like to ask everybody, and you get to have it too. Firstly, thinking about the faraway future and a fantastic AI application, what would you love to see exist? Just anything. And, um, you know, on a practical level, relevant to your work in the future, what would you love to see possible? And, you know, right now we have like ChatGPT just came out in the news, this new uh, question answering model. Then you have other models, a Lambda by Google. And, you know, the power that we're going to see in 2023 is amazing. The ability to ask anything to the AI. And obviously some of the answers aren't accurate, but it's just amazing what we could do. And like, what's your futuristic wish for these new chatbots? Okay. So I think that uh, there could be different wishes, but... I will start from my lawyer wishes. So as I said, it would be great if there would be such AI that could help any lawyer to prepare advices to their clients on different matters. It doesn't matter that it would be very useful. But in this case, I'm afraid that all of such lawyers will be in the future just unemployed. So I don't have such wish. I just hope that it would be great if such application be in the future, but I hope that it won't be that accurate as people that are researching our legislation could be. But it's very hard for me right now to wish about something. The only thing I could wish for is that there could be such AI that set and show Putin in 2021 that he has no chances against Ukraine in this war. If something like that could be, then our life would be much easier. I think that is the only answer on your question. <laughs> Thank you. I like that. That's a good one. Back to chatbots. So I have uh, Siri in front of me here. You know, Apple's very careful about releasing new products and things like that and testing them. But we would love to see Siri be able to do something useful for Ukraine. And what would you love that to be? How do you envision chatbots being part of humanitarian operations, you know, on the donor side and the actor side? Uh, on the actor side, I could say that uh, it would be great if such AI could provide, uh, for example, Ukrainian organizations with a full list of uh, international donors that provide support to Ukraine. If they have such a list, it would be much easier for them to find somebody they could communicate with and uh, ask for support. You know, the first thing that uh, came in my mind. Also, uh, you know, to understand the situation on the ground in Ukraine, I think that the main question of all the Ukrainians could be when the war will be finished. But unfortunately, I could say that uh, any AI 
could answer this question and uh, anybody looking from the perspective of international donors i understand that everybody is interested in trusted actors on the ground and uh, right now we have a lot of cooperation with different organizations so they understand uh, who is trusted and who is not but still it would be great if there would be such list of trusted organization but i think it would be very subjective to any resource that published some such information so i even don't know thank you so much so um i understand we have to um wrap up the interview soon because you're likely going to lose power and keith <laughs> no but uh so it's been great talking to you it's been an honor to talk to you and i i look forward to our meetup groups collaborating with you however we can and uh Normally, I say, and thank you so much, and this brings this edition of Humanitarian AI today to a close, but it would be an honor if you signed us out. So just say whatever First, you want. Firstly, Brent, thank you one more time for the invitation. I hope that this small speech uh, will be useful not only from the AI perspective, but also for the basic Americans who want to support Ukraine and uh, who support it uh, right now. So I just want to say thank you very much for listening and stay with Ukraine. We will win. It's just a matter of time. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. And this brings this edition of Humanitarian AI today to a close.